Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, baby. Welcome to the Smart People Podcast. Sit back, grab a drink, tune in your brain. Ask not what your country can do for you. This nation will rise up. Hello and welcome to another edition of Smart People Podcast. I'm Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. And today we dive into one of the topics that uh, we have made a common theme on our podcast here, but we, we talk about business, we talk about being an entrepreneur, a trendsetter, a go-getter, Cake Health. Cake Health is the subject today. Roach, what is Cake Health? That is an awesome question. The easiest way to describe it is the mint of the health industry. That's not the the easiest way to describe it. I got to be honest. What if they don't know what mint is? So basically, it's just a website to help you with your healthcare information, puts it all in one place, and it's, uh, you know, web 2.0 or 3.0, whatever we're in now, makes it easy for the consumers. No, and I totally, I mean, you found her, uh, by the way, today we speak with Rebecca Woodcock and she is the co-founder of this amazing idea. And I'll give the credit to you. You found her with your Google searching capabilities. And I had to admit, I was impressed with the idea. I can't believe it hasn't happened yet. And that is something she talks about in the interview is how she came up with it, where it's going to go and why it is of service to, you know, the average working American. And we also touch on the realities of a startup, if you will. Yeah, that was awesome because, you know, we've got a lot of friends. We know a lot of people that have ideas, don't have any knowledge at all of how you go about looking for money, moving forward with ideas, things like that. So 
luckily we were able to sit down, talk to her about it, and just you know hear from the first person perspective of what she went through to start this company. Yeah, and that was another thing that I really enjoyed is how she did not mean to get into this field. She didn't mean to get into this topic. She was kind of thrown into a situation that encouraged her to kind of stretch beyond her average daily life and the things she was doing in her life in corporate America. But, you know, the way you found her, I thought was pretty awesome, too. Why don't you tell us about um, how you stumbled across her business and her presentation? So I came across Rebecca while reading TechCrunch, and I was looking at some of the Disrupt videos. And Disrupt is essentially a business plan competition for the tech industry. People show their their ideas in front of a panel. They get voted on, all that kind of cool stuff. And I saw her on there and decided to reach out on Twitter and email. And Rebecca got back to us, and you know we had her on. It was awesome. Yeah, no, and it's it's great to have the entrepreneurs on. So we're going to turn this over to the interview with Rebecca. Uh, before we do that, please remember, head to our site, smartpeoplepodcast.com. Check us out, You know, read the blog post, take a look around. Also, the Amazon link at the top is the way we stay in business, basically. Um, anytime you're going to make a purchase on Amazon, just click on that banner. It brings you to the site. No cost to you. We get a little kickback, and we really, really do appreciate it. So take a listen. Hope you learn a little something. Here's Rebecca Woodcock, founder of Cake Health. So, Rebecca, again, thank you very much for being on our podcast today. Um, we are going to be talking to you about your, your startup, Cake Health. Can you go ahead and just give us a little background about Cake Health, background about yourself, where you came from in the industry? Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, my background is in corporate strategy and market research. And so it's it's all been around... Uh, consumer adoptions of different types of technologies from hardware to software and internet behaviors. Uh, I um, worked in-house at a a large tech firm straight out of college pretty much, so uh, advising their their strategy, competitive research. And then I moved to a, a research firm running big quantitative research projects for other companies, but it's all proprietary work. So it's not, nothing that's been published and uh, cake health. So I don't have a healthcare background actually. And the, the way cake health came about was through just a need of my own. And a couple of years ago, just having an experience with the healthcare system and somebody close to me being, becoming ill all of a sudden and he had a high deductible plan, which was gone overnight and had a lot of expenses. I was really the, the, the person close enough to the situation to really see what was happening, but also got me thinking about something similar had happened to me. Uh, I, I didn't know if I would be financially devastated or not. I lived alone and, and at the time, and it's just got me thinking about how do we make these financial decisions around our healthcare. The most important thing about it, uh, and the most expensive thing that we we pay for, there's really no visibility into not only with the coverage that we have, but how it's impacting our, our household finances. So that's where the idea came about, and. It's almost been a year, actually, since uh, my official. It'll be a year tomorrow, officially, since I left my my job and went full time entrepreneur. 
uh, and congratulations on that, uh, by the way. And had you had any experience with with startups, or did you just completely do this out of the blue and not really know where to start? I mean, how did you know how to go through this whole process, and what kind of gave you the idea that you know that this was going to work and you could leave your job and take that leap of faith? You know. Well, I was always very interested in startups. So I was very involved after hours with startup events. Uh, I have a couple of friends who have been very uh, active in starting organizations of their own, like um, Girls in Tech and Women 2.0. So I've always been involved uh, in those organizations as well. And San Francisco is just a, a great place to start networking and getting to know how that whole ecosystem works. And I was already doing that long before, long before I ever left my job. And so it's, I knew it was something that I wanted to do. Also, there was a, there's a, there's a, an accelerator program that at the time that I came up with Cake Health, uh, I had just applied to and knowing that I wanted to do my own startup, it's called the Founder Institute. And this was their very first class. They, it was their pilot kickoff. We were the inaugural class, just seeing how this was going to work. And so they created a program that really taught you how to be a an entrepreneur, a startup founder, and what that really means. So going through that process actually taught me a lot as to uh, setting the expectations as to what I needed to do. The idea for Cake Health actually didn't come until halfway, almost halfway through the program. I was, I was toying around with different ideas, and this was just something that I didn't even know was going to be the idea, but it was such a strong influence in my life at the time that it ended up growing from the sideline into the main, that main focus. Oftentimes people feel like they should have this, you know, this idea forever and work on it and it comes to fruition and it's like, oh, I knew what I was going to do. I knew I was going to start this business. But I think what's unique about your situation is you were kind of thrown into something that could be unfortunate and took it into how can I help other people? How can I make these things easier? Which is what any good business accomplishes. Yeah. So it, it was totally unexpected that this would ever be the direction that I went into. But it's also the the company where I, I feel like I have the most passion because I come from that, been there as a, as a frustrated consumer and really want to fix it. Right. And I think we all have when it comes to healthcare. I mean, I know I recently just started a new, a new job. And I had to pick different benefits. And I, to be honest, at this point, I barely have a clue what I'm doing. I was just like, oh, this sounds good. And that's why actually John um, brought your company to my attention. And I first thought, obviously, it was how has this not been done yet? <laughs> and second was like, it's brilliant. So I was hoping you could kind of dive into the, the, the nitty gritty of what you are looking to accomplish specifically. Like what kind of things will people benefit from using Cake Health? and the services that it will offer. Sure, sure. And I can even take a step back and uh, explain a little bit of the why it hasn't been done yet. Uh, And really the timing of the market was 
right now is right for this. Five years ago, if you were to look at how plans were, were structured or covered, the majority of plans were fully covered by employers. And so people didn't have to worry about out-of-pocket costs. The, the main reason people didn't go to the doctor is because they just didn't feel like making the time. Today, that has shifted so dramatically just over the course of five years where it's to the point where if your employer is still fully offers fully covered plans, you're in the, you're in the minority and we're paying so much more out of pocket up front before our insurance actually kicks in today. The average, the average user that we're seeing sign up has a deductible of around $2,000. For the average person, that is a lot of money. And that Absolutely. there are some statistics out there that say almost 50% of people that have medical bills less than $2,000 are, are in debt because of that. They're having to pay it off over time. And there's really hasn't been uh, tools created for the end user to make those decisions because they've never had to before. And nobody could have predicted that change so rapidly uh, ex except for a small, nimble startup. <laughs> so what Cake Health can do for you as a, as, as a user, so we have compatibility with the, the top uh, insurers. When you sign up, we, we make it as automated as possible so that all you need to do is give us your login information for the insurance site, and we can pull in all the plan-related data, all your usage, your claims, and actually make sense of it for you so that we can show you where you are meeting your deductibles, how much your out-of-pocket costs have been. If there are any bills or claims that that we see show up, we tell you, is there anything outstanding? Has it been rejected? Do you even owe anything? That alone clears up so much confusion for people because the way they're doing it now is having to wait for both the uh, explanation of benefits and oftentimes people just wait at the end of the day to see if, if that envelope changes color. And that's when you've been taken to collections like, oh, that's I know that I owe something now. Right. So at, at the very least, we can tell you what's going on at any given point in time and if you need to do anything about it. Now, going back to your experience in selecting a plan with, through your employer and not really knowing which you should choose, we have a, a recommendation engine around plans that actually applies your, your costs and usage history to new plans. So, so it's almost like trying on new plans for size before you commit. And we're offering that for, for employers. So we're partnering with employers so that we can offer this to their employees. We can't quite offer that to uh, the direct to consumer yet. This is something that just really takes all that unknown decision-making. Uh, and you don't really know what your usage is. You can use a calculator, but I'll give you an example. When I first pulled my data in, because I was, I was patient zero, I was user number one, and we pulled in all my information, I was making assumptions about my own usage that were not true. And I thought, oh, I'm so healthy and I must never go to the doctor. So I think I'll, I'll just pick this plan that's, you know, because maybe I'll go two or three times a year. That was 
really incorrect. When we pulled in my information, I had gone to the doctor so many more times. <laughs> I would have picked a, a plan that perhaps had a lower copay if had I known this. Right. So, so these are the types of things we, we can we can help you do. Just try on a plan before you make a decision. Okay. Being how you're kind of on the forefront of all this, I was wondering what you think about the the government's new proactive approach to healthcare and and you know Obama specifically his his take on what he's trying to do. Do you think it's a positive and negative? How how will it affect you? It's amazing coming from someone who knows nothing about healthcare and knowing just abstractly that healthcare is broken and and we all know that it's but it's 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 hard to really know what that means and the more i learn about us healthcare the more i understand different layers of uh complexity and 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 how in different layers the system really is broken parts that we're not even touch that us as cake health we're not even touching but uh, it does take, and the infrastructure is so huge that it's really difficult to change unless there's a big initiative or a mandate. And that, I think, was necessary in order to see some of these changes that are starting to happen. So one of the things about healthcare reform is they're actually doing a lot of things that are not visible to the average user yet. It's a lot of infrastructure building, a lot of really unraveling some of that foundation and rebuilding it in a way that's that's more efficient and and will hopefully be more cost effective for everyone. So 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 there is a lot being done but it's just happening under the surface at the moment and I I, I actually now that I, I can see really what's what's happening, I think I, I'm a big supporter of healthcare reform. If it was hard to understand what it actually did early on, I think for everyone. But now I think as, as it's starting to manifest, it's, it's really a good thing. And so because the cost of healthcare are, is, is rising so rapidly, it's really necessary to try to control that and, and fix it. And that's what healthcare reform is doing. One of the things that, um, is happening in healthcare is that the, the ownership of the decision is being passed down to the end user, but it's it's not necessarily a result of healthcare reform. It's it's a result of uh, the costs that people can't really or companies can't really burden anymore, and so it has to be passed down to the end user. Well, the end user then has to become a consumer, so then the consumer has to start having more uh, information to make the right decisions. And not all of this has played out yet, but uh, we will start seeing more decision-making tools around health uh, healthcare decisions, healthcare selection, services, cost transparency, uh, wellness programs, and really trying to get in front of the, the chronic condition issue because what people have, has, have been tr- traditionally doing as costs have been passed down to them is avoiding care. And that's only p- perpetuating the situation. Right. And Cake Health is in you know the perfect position to provide that to consumers, which is awesome. 
Exactly. We're bridging that gap right now of decision support tools for for their decisions around healthcare and the ownership that has already been placed onto them. And since you've since you've successfully brought Cake Health to market, we're going to look at you as being the expert for our next questions. I read somewhere that you had said that you had planned a certain number of months, it was like nine or 10 months that you had to live off of savings, um, I guess, when you had quit your job. What didn't you plan for looking back that you should have? And also, what would you have done differently, if anything? I hadn't really thought about this, but planning for li- living off of savings, that th- the timing of that, I'll have to say, worked out really uh, spot on. And I say that because I was pretty much down to my last month of rent in sa- savings wow. when we had uh, just raised our first angel funds or yeah, seed funds. And so it was that next month that I was able to put myself onto some sort of salary so that I can start, start paying rent. So <laughs> that just gives you an idea as to how close we were we were cutting it, but that's, I think that's a story that's pretty common among entrepreneurs. Now, did Um, the visually seeing that account, you know, get lower and lower kind of give you guys the push to say, okay, we need to bring this out now. Or was it just a, it really was a perfect timing thing where, Hey, we're running out of money and now we just got this seed funding. I would say that surprisingly, the seeing the funds dwindle didn't scare me as much as as knowing that this, the space was starting to heat up, and so that was really the motiv- the motivator to start you know getting things into gear and start really launch getting ready for the launch and fundraising. I I had pretty much timed the fundraising so that there was enough time leading into uh, meeting investors and and following up and and all of that scheduling so that there was a a couple months of lead time to buffer for that so i i would say just know if if that's that's what you're doing make sure (laughs) make sure you start having those conversations early enough so that you don't run out of your own cash for some reason, I felt oddly confident that something was was going to happen where I would be okay, and whether that would come from family or or I would have to move some other you know investments around or sell off some some things, uh, something would happen. Right, and that's that's that actually that. that's something that we talked to Tony Shea about. We talked to him of a few episodes ago, and. He mentioned, you know, the worst thing that can really happen to to people now is you have to move back in with your family or friends. Like a lot of people have this great support network um, that they can fall back on. So if you do want to come up with an idea, just go for it. And if you do have to fall back on them, you can where, you know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, that wasn't necessarily the case. It's always cool talking to people that knew that that support could be there if necessary, but still, you know, made that jump anyways. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a leap of faith and it was actually scarier leading up to the last day of my job than it was the first day of entrepreneurship. I, it was dramatically a dramatically different feeling 
uh, I think the fear of that unknown is worse than, than just jumping. When you jump, I had this euphoric feeling for probably a month or two that I was doing the right thing. And it's, it's, you don't feel it until the, the day after you've already done it. So you have to do it in order to, to know whether you've made the right decision. Going through the whole investor process, I mean, how was that for you? Was that, was that something you had gone through before, completely new experience for you? Um, I mean, I'm assuming it's completely nerve-wracking and, and stressful. That was, yes, it was, it was very stressful. It's, it's very time-consuming, too. And, and since uh, I had never done it before, uh, I really had to get out there and meet a lot of people. And so, you know, having gone through the Founder Institute and Adeo Resi was still there to uh, give me guidance on how to approach fundraising and, and how to, to just really, the, the approach that I took was to really start, um, and there's a strategy to it too. Initially, talking with investors in the first couple of, of, of weeks and, and scheduling a lot of meetings, but it was all asking for advice because you want to get that feedback. You want to get the advice. And actually through getting that feedback and advice, we also got a couple of our first investors. And so I would say approach the situation humbly. If, if, if it is your first time starting a, a company, if it's, if it's old hat, you, you can probably approach it differently. But this is what I did as a first-time entrepreneur, was asked for advice, learned a lot in those first 20 to 30 meetings, secured a couple of investors, and then really locked down uh, four weeks straight of just nonstop investor meetings. And it was tough because it was just myself and my co-founder, Andy, at the time. And so I tried to keep him as focused and, and out of the fundraising picture as much as possible, only bringing him in when um, it, it, he really needed to be so that he could uh-huh. stay focused on product. Otherwise, it just we would have stalled completely. What made it even more challenging, and I don't, I don't recommend everyone approach it this way, <laughs> was... Um, it was also the same time we found out that we were accepted into Disrupt. And so knowing that we now had to not only fundraise and prepare for a launch, just with uh, two people, <laughs> this really, really was, was, was a little painful. <laughs> and it took a lot of time. So um, I would try to separate your launch from your fundraising if you can. But uh, yeah, we had to do it. We brought on our first employee two weeks before our launch. So, uh, it was, it was a very busy time for us. (laughs) Now I I watched your disrupt video and you guys did an awesome presentation in the panel. I mean, you guys got rave remarks from everybody on the panel. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what exactly disrupt was and you know, what you had to do? Sure. Yeah. So TechCrunch disrupt is a big startup conference. It's really a startup competition for what's the newest, most innovative, disruptive startup that is coming out. And so uh, oftentimes companies will be launching at Disrupt. They can't have launched before. They can't be companies that already have a product available to the public. They have to be really early stage, really 
launching something there. So it's really disruptive. It's um, also a place where just lots of startups and lots lots of investors come together and see what's happening and what's new and, and networking. So it's all about startups there. And so we were part of this competition. I believe there were 25 startups that were in the competi- competition. And then there's a, a final round. Uh, I can't remember how many startups were in the final round. But typically there's five. I think they may have added one or two more this, this round. But we made it to that final pass. Uh, and at the end, the winner gets a check for $50,000 and the title of being the disruptive winner, which gets you a lot of press. So that's what disrupt is. What we had to do for it, and I don't know if you're asking if how we had to apply or what we do no, I during... Just, I, yeah, I mean, during, during the actual conference, I'm sure not all of our listeners are going to know what Disrupt is. I, I knew yeah. what it was because I read TechCrunch, but for those out there that don't know what it is, if you could just explain, you know, what you had to do for the, for the process, not really to apply, but um, what you had to do there for the conference. Sure. So what we did at the conference is, and all the 25 startups that are accepted will give an initial demonstration of the product. It's, it's essentially your pitch of your product. And you have maybe six minutes to do it. And there's a, a panel of investors or um, oftentimes they're seasoned entrepreneurs or just very high-level executives of, of well-known companies. And they'll be judging you and asking questions about uh, technology, business model, all, all sorts of things. And so after the, t- the first 25 there's a selection process to to go to this final round, and then you do this pitch again uh, with a, a different panel, very very high level people like Marissa Meyer from Google, uh, Ron Conway, who's the super angel of Silicon Valley, SV angel, and after those five do that final day pitch, they select the winner, and so that's that's what we did. I kind of wanted to end it on where do you think your business is going? How do you get it there? Kind of what's your map for the future? So there's there's a lot that we can't say yet, but I do know that Oh, come on. Uh, give us, a, give us the insider information. Come on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. The thing that I can say is that we are going to be working closely with employers and creating solutions that are very, uh, will, will offer support for employees. And we can do, do some of the things that we currently do with Cake Health for employers and employees, but there will be additional functionality that we can add on top of that. So that's what we'll be doing. Uh, I think there's a real opportunity for us to, to uh, be that intermediary between the end user and trying to really figure all of this stuff out, but give them such support in doing that where they just, we're not just giving them tools, we're giving them decisions. And we want them to feel so sure at the end of the day that they know at any given time what they need to do, what the right options for them are. So that's where we, we see Cake Health going. It's not just some 
some dashboarding tools. We'll, we'll be developing a lot more recommendations and functionality to help that decision-making process. Well, that's awesome. And, and best of luck to you. I mean, Cake Health looks amazing from what I've seen. Um, Thank you. Yeah, good luck with everything moving forward. And again, we appreciate you being on our show. It's, it's always awesome to talk to people like yourself. So thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Smart People Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Rebecca Woodcock. It's definitely great to hear somebody who goes out on a limb, quits their job, and pursues a passion that they have. Don't you think, Roach? Oh, I completely agree. I love it. She gave a lot of good advice on how to go about doing this. You know, just trust in yourself, save up some money, and go forward with the the dream that you have for your business. So if you enjoyed it, we'd really appreciate it. Head on over to iTunes, subscribe to us. We got a lot of great guests in the queue coming up. Check out the ones we've done in the past. I really do think that the past 10 or 12 episodes we've had have been the best by far. We got a lot of big things in the future for Smart People Podcast, so make sure you subscribe. Yeah, we really can't hit on this hard enough. We really need you to go to iTunes and subscribe. It helps us move up the charts. We actually found ourselves on the charts in the uh, personal journals and society and culture sections again, which is awesome. means more people can find us, yeah, more people we, can listen to us. Were we four in uh, personal journals? We were four in personal journals. And like 20 or 15? and Yeah, uh, it was like 26 or something in, in society and culture or whatever the section is. But it's a really simple thing. Head over to iTunes, like us on there, you know, give us five stars four stars whatever you want to give us no no no, no less than four stars and subscribe thanks a bunch